Another Way to Play, episode 115. And so just this mature mindset of like, I don't really need this. I don't need to deal with the things that I'm dealing with. Um, There was never kind of like a click moment where I was just like, I understand why I have this. I understand why I need to do this. It was just kind of there, like just kind of like inner dialogue of you need to get out. Hey guys, this is Heather Knight, founder of Surviving to Thriving. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Strazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina, Olympic athlete turned top producing Bay Area realtor. I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Twice a week, I talk with other high performers to share the lessons and inspiration that allowed them to blow the roof off their success. So get ready to have some fun, be inspired, and most importantly, learn the skills you need to win in your own life. This is another way to play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that your success or failure in life is determined by your ability to succeed and win when it comes to your mindset. Today's guest is Heather Knight. If you recognize that name, that's because her husband was on in the last show, and I'm really excited to bring her on because she is absolutely killing it in all the things she's doing and they're doing together. She is the founder of Surviving to Thriving, which is a nonprofit to help support the victims and survivors of domestic violence. In this conversation, uh, we talk about her mindset, where she gets it from, how she developed it, and her own story with domestic violence, as well as her journey to being an Atlanta police officer and how she transitioned ultimately out of that into being uh, in the nonprofit world and what she's doing with all of that now. If you get some value out of this, guys, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because uh, it really helps me grow the show, grow the platform, and help it get in front of just a few more people. So thank you in advance for that. And without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring her in. Here's my interview with Heather Knight. Heather, thank you so much for being on the show today. Excited to have you on. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. And for everyone who uh, listened to last week's episode, uh, Heather's husband, Zach, was on. And uh, this is the one that I've actually been waiting for more than the other because you're the one who kicks Zach's butt into gear and keeps him moving forward and doing all the cool stuff that you guys are doing together. So really excited to get the other side of your household and and what it is you guys are are tackling. Definitely. You know, um, I'm glad you said that. So now I'm going to have to make him listen to this just to the to hear that little part right there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, he alluded to some of the things you guys are doing together and separately, but but I would love to get a sense in your own words, first of all, like what you have going because you guys have a lot together and independently. So so give us give us the idea of kind of what you're working on now and surviving to thriving and all of that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. So I'm sure he touched on nightly productions or um, be a tactical leader. And so that's kind of his thing. However, I'm in the background doing all the video editing, social media, and just different behind the scenes aspects for that company. But then I have Surviving to Thriving, which is a nonprofit dedicated to women of domestic violence. Uh, We provide um, sustainable living 
And we do that through lifestyle learning courses, uh, women's self-defense and lifestyle or um, sustainable housing. And so the lifestyle learning courses are things like budgeting and job building, uh, resume building, job searching, interview skills, college courses, GED courses, just, you know, overall life skills. Um, and then the women's self-defense class is a trauma-based class. So I'm a nationally certified self-defense instructor and the class is centered around how to help women who have been traumatized, who have been through sexual assault or um, been abused and teach them how to fight through that freeze syndrome. Um, Because most of us have fight or flight until something happens. And then possibly, you know, the second time it happens, you're more likely to just kind of freeze and go back to the first time that it happened. So working through that, yeah, it's, the, the brain is crazy. Um, so working through that, um, that freeze part of fight, fight or flight. Um, and then of course our sustainable housing, which is a three to five year program. One of the huge problems of, or gaps in domestic violence help is, um, there's not enough housing. Um, a lot of people don't want to go into shelters cause they have kids and pets and things like that. Um, or, you know, high, um, position jobs and they don't want people to know that they're homeless. And so we provide uh, like apartment style housing for, you know, three to five years trying to build up that, that income so that you can purchase your own home or move out into an apartment on your own. Wow. I, I know we've talked about this in the past and I love that you sort of laid it out that way because there's so much to it because you think domestic violence and generally speaking, I think most people think probably the act or like the immediate fallout right but you're talking about a three to five year runway plus the plus the physical training into combat the freeze and all the sort of things that you just brought up and it really gets you thinking like man there's a lot more to this than than one might think i mean aside from the fact that it's just a a terrible situation and a lot of uh, i'm sure you deal with a lot of trauma and all that stuff but i'm sure there's been a long journey to get here and i'm curious through your story, like where did your story actually begin and, and where did you actually get into this world in the first place? Yeah. So my story kind of starts back in high school. I uh, grew up in Minnesota. Um, I live now in Atlanta, but always grew up in, you know, was there for 18 years. And, um, so I was in the city, but you're placed into school districts within a large city. So I grew up with the same group of people like a small town would have. So we went from kindergarten all the way up to um, high school um, with the same group of people, even though I lived in Minneapolis, like a huge city. And so, you know, the same core group of friends, but I never felt like I fit in. Like I was always like that person that was in every single friend group, but not really had like a core friend group. So I was the odd one out, just kind of, you know, living life my own way. Um, But that kind of got me into um, this kind of a lot of self-esteem issues. And so I started dating a guy in high school and it turned out to be a, just a really abusive relationship. It was very, not, not ever physical, um, but very mental and emotionally abusive. And I say that, but then I also have to say that it was 
pretty much two-sided, right? When we're in these high school relationships, there's an ego attached to everything, right? It's like, well, he did this to me, so I'm going to go do this. Or like, you know, you always have that peer pressure of like, well, you need to go and do this, or you have people talking in your ear about your entire relationship. And so it becomes very two-sided and being emotionally and, and mentally abusive, but we never really understand that as teens. Nobody ever teaches us like, this is a healthy relationship. This is not, this is how you communicate. This is not. Um, and so I realized that later on down the road, but just, you know, having these self-esteem issues and then, uh, you know, also being in this relationship. And then it also kind of pulled me into a crowd that was maybe not so good to hang around. Um, but uh, we were, you know, hanging out at, at uh, this guy's house and, and we're just sitting there talking. And then, you know, somebody made a joke that I should perform a sexual act on somebody. And I was like, ha, no, I'm not doing that. And then um, I had a gun put to my head and said, oh, well, how about now? So, of course, I'm like, I'm not going to mess with it. Like, I went up, did that. And then three months down the road, having all these issues, you know, depression, suicidal thoughts and things like that. And my friend's like, oh, well, you know, the gun wasn't even loaded. I was like, cause that makes it better. And so I, you know, made this decision that I really did not want to be in Minnesota and go to school in Minnesota. I wanted to get out and go and, and be on my own and, you know, restart life basically. I don't know. I think a lot of it came from the fact that my parents were divorced uh, when I was 10, that I just kind of had to grow up really quickly. I had a younger sister. And so just this mature mindset of like, I don't really need this. I don't need to deal with the things that I'm dealing with. Um, there was never kind of like a click moment where I was just like, I understand why I have this. I understand why I need to do this. It was just kind of there, like just kind of like a nagging, like inner dialogue of you need to get out. And, um, yeah, so I, you know, I was in theater, I did dance, um, as well. So I was, you know, at theater one night and somebody was like, Hey, my friend's a cop. Do you want to do a ride along? And I was like, sure. Why not? I love cop shows. I love, you know, CSI and law and order and all those things. So I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Um, and I, it was like 17 years old. So I'm like starting to look into, you know, where I want to go to college, what I want to do with my life. And so I was like, sure, why not? I'll, I'll go into this and, and see what's up. And I did the ride along and it was on Halloween night and it was the most fun that I've ever had in my entire life. So I was like, yep, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be a cop. So I searched for schools um, that had really good criminal justice degrees and I ended up picking a school in Georgia and I moved down to Georgia, got my degree. And then um, a got hired at the one police department that I wanted to get hired at in, in uh, Georgia. So that was awesome. And then I did that for four years. Wow. So, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I, did, I Obviously, I had never heard that story before um, of like where all this came from. And I mean, I, I imagine that can be very challenging to to share and be vulnerable about. So thank you for that. And um, I can, I mean, anyone listening to that can obviously see how so something like that at an early age would definitely pivot you and transform you in, into a way of thinking and a way of viewing the world and people and everything else that, you know, now, you know, take you in a, in a line of like not wanting that to happen to someone else, especially when you've got your younger sister and all of that sort of thing. And then you went and interestingly kind of like, I guess, 
I don't know if I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but like did something about it to the extent that you like joined the police force and probably learned how to empower yourself in a way that an average person probably couldn't, right? Was there a mental shift that happened for you in that time to like, oh, if I'm a cop, then this probably won't happen to me because I'll know how to take care of myself and that sort of thing? Or was were those things totally unrelated? I think that they were, you know, totally unrelated because in college, I think I had that transformation. I left that you know, group of people that I grew up with and I really restarted my life. I ended the, the, you know, the toxic relationship and found, you know, I, I was always in dance. I was always an athletic person, but I started like working out really hard and just like doing all of that stuff and just kind of found that mental happiness um, that I'd been searching for, for a long time. And, you know, just found things that made me happy and you know, I did hiking. I started cross stitching more. Um, it's like a weird quirk that I love to cross stitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm an 80 year old woman trapped in a 26 year old's body. Um, (laughs) but, um, so I just, you know, found things that I really enjoyed doing and I did that in college and then it just kind of helped build that moving into my policing career. Interesting. So it was, it was more of just a progression as opposed to just like a flip of a switch and all of a sudden I'm different and you eventually kind of got into things like, I guess what I, what I'm hoping to to understand a little bit more for the sake of the audience and myself, frankly, is like, you're obviously in this toxic friend group, very clearly based on that one story. I'm sure there's, you know, plenty of other quote unquote little things along the way. We've all had our our friends and our our influences through high school and college that were negative, but that's a bit of a different level, I would argue. Then you took your yourself in a different direction to work out, to cross stitch, to college, to this and that. Like, did you intentionally make that decision at some point along the way that said, this is not for me, this is not where I want my life to go? Or did it, where in your journey and along your path did that actually cross over to like, no, nah, this isn't where I'm going to go? So it definitely wasn't a sub or a conscious decision um, because I had to make that conscious decision again further on down in my story. Um, It was just kind of like things where I'm like, that doesn't really make me happy, so I'm not going to do it. Um, It was never like a conscious decision of like, I'm going to do this because I need to do it for myself. It was just kind of like a, I don't really want to do that type of mindset that I had at that point. It wasn't intentional at all. Um, which I think is what, you know, brought me back down into the, you know, not really, I, I never really hit depression again, but just kind of like being bored with life. And I, I think that's what happened um, and what ultimately ended my policing career after four years. So you, so you, you got into the police department, you graduated with your criminal justice degree, and then four years later, you're, you're out again and into, into something else. So can you, can you talk to us about that? part of your story and, and how that all went and, and where where that took you after your policing uh, world was over. Yeah. So um, I, like I said, I got hired by the one police department that I wanted to get hired by. I was so excited to start. It was a wild ride from day one. And, you know, I went through all the training, did all of that stuff. And I got put on night shift. 
And and this is in, in Atlanta, right? Uh, it's a suburb of Atlanta. So it's a small, smaller town, a um, population of about 70,000. But we still have all of the crime that Atlanta has because we border Atlanta. So everything spills into us. So, you know, there was still that excitement. There were still murders and armed robberies and, you know, car chases and, and things like that. So it was, you know, it wasn't every night like Atlanta is, um, but you get a healthy dose of, you know, the excitement. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I realized through um, being on night shift that, you know, the number one call besides silent alarms was domestic violence. And about two years in, I switched to a community policing um, officer role. So I did, you know, all the media relations. I did our social media. I did um, just a lot of community awareness. That's where I became certified in self-defense and taught all our self-defense classes. So I really got to take, you know, what I learned on night shift and try to improve our police department through it. And that was one of the biggest things was domestic violence was how is this still in, you know, I started in 2015. So 2017, how is this still one of the biggest issues that we have in America and what, how can we not stop it? How are we not providing enough services um, for men and women? It's just a lot easier to service women, unfortunately, than it is for men because they are a smaller population of victims. But um, so I was able to sit down with some of the victims and ask them flat out, you know, what is preventing you from leaving? And, you know, a lot of them are, I'm just, you know, it was a one-time thing or this isn't what he's really like. And, you know, that no judgment, right? There's a journey like everybody else has. So in their part of their journey, they're not ready to leave yet. They're not, you know, willing to understand what's going on, which that's fine. It's your journey and nobody's going to judge you for what you're going through. But there were obviously a population of women who are ready to get out and ready to leave that, that situation. But they have kids, they have pets, they have, you know, their upper level management at their jobs. They don't want people to know what's going on. And so I, you know, took a list of all of these things. And at that point, Zach and I were together, not married yet, but together. Uh, we had started Night Protection Services, which is our security company. And we had gone to Thrive with, uh, can I think of his name? Oh, you're killing. I haven't been to Thrive. I was going to go this year, but then coronavirus. So, yeah. Um, um, gosh. But yeah, yeah. anyway, now, yeah, we now were at Thrive. Come out in 10 more minutes. <laughs> like, right. We're all going to stay at the same time. Is it Cole right. Hatter um, who does? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Thrive with Cole okay. Hatter. And Zach was part of Travis's mastermind. So he got, you know, Travis did that for them. And so we were out there and one of the speakers was like, you have to have a purpose behind your business. And I had already started going through all of these things of like, how do we help these women? And through that, Surviving and Thriving was born. Zach's like, this is what we got to do. We got to do a nonprofit for domestic violence. And we just kind of went through the list and figured out how we can do each um, component of it. I was still in the police force. I was working on my master's at that point. And, you know, as I'm helping these women, I'm like, I, you know, I've, I've been through that. I've gotten past it, but I'm still in this like miserable spot in life. You know, I've, I don't really like policing. Any, I'm well, that's a lie. I love policing. I loved what I did, but the culture of policing is toxic. The 
department that, you know, just kind of, and, and it's kind of as a woman in policing, you're in a man's world. And so they expect you to just kind of suck it up and be one of the boys. But I'm like, um, I feel like I'm manly enough being a police officer. I don't need to suck it up and be one of the boys. You know, if you're doing something that's wrong, I'm going to stand up for myself. You know, if you're treating, and it, it, it's funny because at our police department, we were like the number one, we are still, I say we, I'm not a police officer anymore, but we're, we're still the number one community policing agency in the state of Georgia, if not in the nation. You know, we, we rank really high in our community policing relations. We have great community relations, but we don't have great policing relationships within our department. And so that was really just... I'm assuming it's partially just there's I mean, just the fact of like what you're witnessing every day, it like wears on people and then it shows up in some unhealthy behavior and interpersonal relationships. And I'm sure there's always a macho culture. Anytime there's guns and, you know, car chases, there's a, there's a underlying macho culture there somewhere, even if it's a movie or it's a real life police, police academy. So I'm sure there's you can kind of fill in the blanks on, on some of that for yourself, whoever's listening Definitely. to this one. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing is like, you've got, you know, these people that are on the street seeing all of this stuff, dealing with all this stuff. And then you've got an you know upper management who hasn't been on the street in 20 years and they don't know what's happened. I mean, they, they went through it, right? Because you have to go through the ranks, but it's been 20 years since they've been through it. So they don't really understand. And so there's a huge disconnect between your road officers and your beat cops and your chiefs and majors and captains and all of those people. Um, and so it creates an unhealthy balance of we need help of no suck it up. This is, you know, how we did it in my day and we're just fine. But obviously we know that that's not how life works <laughs> and saying this is how we used to do it. So do it isn't the right answer. Zach brought something up that I didn't really realize, but it was as soon as he said it, it made total sense, which was one of his gripes with policing relative to protection of businesses was sort of the like respond and report strategy. It's like call comes in, you show up, you, if there's a threat, you try and deal with it. If not, you take a report and you file it and then you move on to the next one. You've cleared your calls, right? Is, was it like a similar frustration that you had with the job when it came to domestic violence and like we're taking these reports and maybe we're trying to do some restraining orders but like we're not actually solving the problem per se exactly um it's the same type of thing you know unless there's a a primary aggressor that you can establish right there and a primary aggressor is the person who starts the incident um and unless you have proof that that can start, right? You bruises, scratches, marks, things like that, that, you know, video recordings, but how many people are actually doing that in the midst of an argument or a, a fight? Not many, but, you know, so you show up and, you know, there's been an altercation and it's like, all right, well, you go to your mom's house and you go to your friend's house and don't talk to each other for a night. Then you write it down and that's it, you know? And there, legally, that's all we can do unless we can establish that something occurred and that somebody actually started it and did something. There's nothing we can do, and it and it sucks because it's like these women are crying out for help, right? You don't call nine one one because you want to hang out with police officers. You just don't. Um, you know, you call nine one one because it's the worst day of your life. And so we show up and we're like, 
all right, well, there's nothing we can do. So good luck next time. And yeah, so definitely a, a very similar situation. And so you go to this event, Thrive, which maybe the listeners have been to, maybe not, but you hear this one speaker says there has to be a purpose behind your business. And then between you and Zach, that's where this concept of uh, surviving to thriving came forward. Um, But you're still working in the police department at that time. You're still doing the community engagement thing. It's still a very quote unquote non-entrepreneurial venture, right? So like, how did you transition from what is considered, I would argue, one of the more stable professions, which is government work, to something very entrepreneurial and nonprofit at the same time. Yeah, so that was 2018, I want to say, that we went to Thrive, because um, we got married at Thrive, actually. Um, no way. And yeah, we did. <laughs> the day before um, Thrive, we got married. Um, so we you know, do that. And so I go back home and well, we both go back home and I go back to my government job and we're like sitting down trying to figure out how do we actually start this. And, you know, I'm thinking like, I'm miserable every day, you know, that I go into work. I'm like, I don't want to be here, but then having this pull of like, I feel obligated to be here, but then also another pull of like, I enjoy my day to day. I enjoy the people I work with directly but just, you know, the culture is just, you know, all this stuff. So about January of 2019, we, you know, we were continually, uh, or not, sorry, not January, 2019, November of 2019, you know, Zach's deployed. Uh, he left and he leaves and he left in October, but we're finally, you know, like in the groove of things he gets to, he's still in, um, pre-mob so he came home for thanksgiving and then he got to come home for christmas so then january of 2019 he's in country and so i'm sitting here dealing with his business being a full-time police officer being in school and so the nonprofit actually gets put on the back burner it just kind of it t- takes a back seat we don't we have a board ish we had enough of to what we needed to um, file for our 501c3, which is three people and one of them is in afghanistan so <laughs> you know it's just kind of it just it just sits there, um, and we we do the deployment. We get through that, and he comes home in August of 2019, and in September he's like, "All right, let's do this. You know, you've put your stuff on hold long enough for me. Let's figure out what we need to do." Um, so we hear that Travis is doing BYN Live uh, in November, and we sign up for the for that to try and just kind of get some momentum of learning, you know, maybe we run into somebody that'll, that's willing to partner with us or sponsor us. If not, you know, we'll make some great connections and lo and behold, we did. Uh, and <laughs> made, made some really great connections, joined as mastermind. And that's where things really took off. We decided, you know, we need to do a podcast because it's, you know, nobody talks about domestic violence, let's, let alone puts it on the internet for everybody to hear about. And so we started the podcast in January, 2020, and we're still going strong and still doing that. And I'd bring on survivors and they talk about survivors and they do, um, uh, we do, uh, experts and experts come on and give advice. And we do talk a lot about mindset as well and, and do that. So we do all of that and, uh, start, podcasting in in 
really picking up steam. Um, and then we decide we need to do a conference. Uh, we need to, you know, go and do this. And, uh, we have it all planned out. We start getting sponsors and then, you know, everybody knows what happened in March of 2020 and, uh, and then COVID. So actually our, uh, our conference is supposed to be in two weeks, but it's, you know, postponed until 2021. But I think I kind of skipped over when I left the police department. So I can go back to that. if. <laughs> well, in that time you, you clearly left and then moved on. And I, I mean, I, I honestly didn't know that you were, when we first met, cause we were in a breakout group together and I remember you bringing up this nonprofit and I was like, aside from just being struck by you and your story and like what you were working on, like some of the other crazy stories there, but it really sounded when we were having this little breakout group, like you really were a lot farther along than you, than you maybe you were, but it clearly, cause you had like years of backstory behind this thing that and I didn't know it was so, so brand new, basically, that you were really um, thinking about this for a long time. So clearly, it was a long-term passion project that you just never let die. And and how, through the deployment of your husband, of Zach, um, of you, you know, being in and then leaving the police department, his business, all these, you know, all these conferences, all these podcasts you're starting, like, how did you keep it going? Um during a time when it it would have been really easy to say it's just not not right now we just can't even think about this yeah um so through the deployment that was a lot of what it was um it was just kind of like it's there it's established it doesn't really need to go anywhere at this point right it can just sit there we don't have services that we're offering yet um so that was a, a huge thing and i i did kind of let it just just sit on the back burner and, and really focused on, you know, keeping the house afloat and Zach's business afloat and doing all of that. But then when he came home, he was like, we got to do this. Like you need to start working on this. And so he's really been my rock through all of that. You know, he even was kind of the one that made me focus on my own mindset and my own mindset shift of you are miserable right? Like you come home and I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but he was like, you bitch every day about your job. You like, you hate it. Like you almost make it miserable at home because it's, you're so miserable at work. And that really hit me. I was like, oh, like I'm affecting everybody else around me too. And so I was like, well, we have, you know, he's got uh, the, the deployment from the money, um, or money from the deployment. And so we're living off of that. We're doing fine. He's, you know, still on all of these orders and all of these, these things. And night pro is really picking up and, um, we're doing all that. And so he's like, all right, well then leave. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he was like, you're not going to do it. It was almost like a dare. He's like, bet you won't <laughs> bet. I will. <laughs> and then the next day I turned in my two weeks and I left. Um, and I, you know, just really started focusing on the nonprofit and growing our other um, two businesses with him. That's, yeah, I, it's interesting that you had sort of the, the platform, the income, and for lack of a better term, the stability from a government job to go be entrepreneurial. And I think a lot of people don't, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is like when you have a passion for something and there's clearly a calling for you to go do something extraordinary and awesome, or you've just got this burning desire inside, like when it's 
when you when you feed it, even if you have to put it on the back burner enough, just through conversation, through thought, whatever it has to be at the moment, like opportunities show up and then they will often present in ways that you weren't expecting. And oftentimes it'll show up in a way you weren't expecting, which I'm sure the deployment and the money that that brought and then, you know, the stability of, of Zach post deployment was actually what gave you the, the ability to go launch this thing. And I'm sure that wasn't in your plan when you initially started it. Yeah, no, I honestly never thought I was going to leave the, I'm, I, I knew I was going to leave the police department at some point. It wasn't like I knew in my bones, like that was not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But I thought that it was always going to be governmental work, right? I was looking at DEA jobs and FBI jobs and GBI, just moving on to something other than a local police department. Um, and that's even what I got my master's in was in Homeland Security. So, you know, I really thought that I was going to go into Homeland. It was never a thought that I would do this until Zach was like, look, we have the stability and you clearly don't want to be in government work anymore. So let's figure out what we can do. Um, and that's where it really all started. I never had that entrepreneurial drive, right? I never thought that that's what I was going to do with my life, but I love it. <laughs> but here <laughs> you are. Sure. Right. <laughs> um, so so sitting here in early September of 2020, where is the, the nonprofit now and what are you guys focused on currently at the moment? Yeah, so COVID has screwed up a lot of things. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we were really focused on this conference. You know, it was going to be our huge, you know, like how galas are for most nonprofits. Um, and it brings in, you know, quarter to a half a million dollars. And that's like their yearly budget, main budget. We were planning on doing the same thing, but again, being different, who wants to, you know, nobody really wants to just like get dressed up anymore for nothing to like go spend hundreds of dollars um, for a gift basket. And so we're like, what can we do to provide one provide to our donors, right? These are the people that keep us alive, but then two also provide services to the people that we're serving and do it all at the same time because most galas you don't get the people that you're servicing right homelessness uh, nonprofits are not inviting homeless people to their galas but we were going to invite women of domestic violence to our conference that's for sure and they were going to be paid for right you wouldn't have to pay for your ticket so we were focused on all of this and then obviously uh covid hit so now we're trying to get it back up and running now that everything's back open people are more willing to donate again everybody withdrew because they were like oh, we don't know what's going to happen with our businesses we don't want to you know spend this money and then need it in two months but now that people are really you know starting to see that things are getting back a little bit back to normal conversations are back open again and so we're now planning for a 2021 conference in um september again that's our huge push well before we get into the last section of the show, I do I do want to sort of wrap up. I'm going to respect the rest of your day because I know you've got a lot going on. I have a question regarding sort of the domestic violence thing and just maybe some of the like macho culture in the police department and some of that stuff that you've talked about previously. Like one thing that I'm struck by, especially when it comes to homelessness and domestic violence and some of these like big issues that we all sort of face in the media at the moment to me, 
there's a, a, a real lack of like empathy and understanding for human beings and other people and, and victims of domestic violence, perpetrators of it. I, I have to think that it starts sort of internally with recognition and understanding and that sort of thing. And I wonder if you have an opinion on that and if you think I'm totally crazy or if there's a, uh, if there's some, some merit to what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so by that, do you mean on the society side or like on the police department side? More societally. I think that, you know, we, we sort of very quickly judge someone's story by like a title, right? Survivor of domestic violence, cop, you know, this, that, whatever the thing is, and, and are qu- quick to sort of put people in a box and not take them homeless is another great title, right? Or not great, but a title that explains this example and put people in this box and not actually go to try and understand them at a deeper level and what happened in their life to get them there or the choices they made or what have you. And I'm wondering if you take that approach or you have any of that in what you do with the nonprofit. Definitely. Um, A huge thing that we do especially through COVID and all of this stuff is just education. And it's not necessarily education on the, like, these are the signs of domestic violence because nine times out of 10, if you're in that relationship, you already know that you're in that situation. Um, So we do a lot of education on the outside um, looking in and that's, you know, people who are a hundred percent trying to help, but then don't realize that they're not actually helping. They're almost making the situation worse. And a lot of this is family members and close friends of people of domestic violence. So, you know, always pestering them of why aren't you leaving yet? And, and, you know, doing that kind of victim shaming thing, which is totally normal because a lot of people don't understand that that is victim shaming in and of of itself. But it's almost like asking a rape victim, well, why did you go to that party? Why did you drink that much? Why did you do this? And, you know, it doesn't matter why they did that. It happened and now we need to fix it and, and figure out what's going on. So we're doing a lot of that, but a lot, and that's why we started the podcast was nobody wants to talk about, you know, domestic violence. Nobody wants to one admit that they're in that relationship or to provide, you know, help to those women. Um, because some people really do believe that like, well, you shouldn't have gotten in that position in the first place. You should have just left a long time ago. And so we're really dealing with that, um, on the podcast and, and bringing awareness that way. Uh, but I a hundred percent agree with, you know, homelessness as well. You know, you see somebody on the side of the street and you're like, well, why don't you just go get a job? You're like, well, it's not that easy, <laughs> you know. It's it's really not when you look at their situation as a whole, and you know, maybe they're disabled, maybe they can't go get a job, you know, all of these different things. And so, yeah, it we're definitely we deal with it a lot, and a lot in the victims because they feel shameful trying to get help. Um, so, really working on that as well. I'm always struck when I when I get into conversations about this kind of stuff that there's the the saying of like if you're a hammer you look for nails right like you look for the the thing that you've been programmed to do or the job you think you're supposed to do so like police do a handle situations a certain way versus social workers versus politicians versus you know everyday people walking down the street we all kind of look at something through our own lens if you will and i think what you're telling us is like one thing you do with the the nonprofit is trying to help people look at things, not so much as a hammer, but like 
what is a more appropriate tool in this case? Like, how can I make you also a screwdriver and a, you know, a saw or what, for lack of a better analogy (laughs) here, but how do I help change your mindset so that you're not just looking at like victim shaming intentionally or not? Right, exactly. And and even in homelessness, right? People are always like, um, you know, why did you use that money for drugs? And my question is, if you didn't want him to use it for drugs, then you shouldn't have given money, given him money or her money, right? You have no right to judge what they do with that money when you give it to them. And it's the same thing in, in domestic violence. Like you can't judge somebody on what they do with the resources that you give them. All you can do is provide them what you feel is necessary and step back. Really, really well said. Well, thank you, Heather, for sharing all of that. I appreciate your your time today but I want to respect the rest of your day and transition us into the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Yes. First question is what book have you gifted most often? That's a good one. Probably actually the purpose driven life, um, which is a, um, actually a very, a spiritual book. Um, but it's, you know, always it's, it, the mindset aspect is in there and really helps people kind of understand it. Even if you're not spiritual, it's still a really good book to read. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? That's a good one too. I, hmm. So this is like my cop brain. I would want to talk to somebody like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer, just like, ask why, like what were like the motivations behind it? Like I'm so interested in like the criminal mind. Like that's a really interesting thing to me. Um, so I always find it those, those like yeah. documentaries and everything are just really interesting to me. Cause I'm like, in their mindset, like nothing happened, nothing was wrong. And so I'm like, why is that the reason, or, you know, like what is going on in your head? <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, I know some of those documentaries. I get sucked into them once in a while too. So I'm with you. What is, what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Chocolate is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people would disagree with you on that one. <laughs> I know you were probably looking for some really philosophical thing there, but. <laughs> hey, it's your, your answer to my question. It can be whatever you want. <laughs> Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? I wake up-ish. My alarm goes off and I (laughs) snooze for 15 minutes. Um, But then I get up and I drink some pre-workout and I go to the gym. um, And I come home and I start working. Pretty simple. Awesome. Heather, what is the best place that we can connect with you, learn about the nonprofit, the podcast, all of that stuff online? Yeah. So the podcast is anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It is called Surviving to Thriving. Uh, That is also the name of the nonprofit. And our website is tothriving.org. And I am all over social media as tothrivingatl. Tothrivingatl, Instagram, Facebook, and then Surviving to Thriving. Go check it out, guys. It's down in the show notes, all linked up for you, easy to find. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time and everything you shared with us today. And uh, uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, you too. I was really excited to be here. 
And that's it for today. If you want to connect with Heather, learn about her nonprofit, Surviving to Thriving, uh, or any of the other businesses she's working on, head down to the show notes. I've got everything linked up down there, um, as well as her podcast, which you should definitely go check out and support anywhere you listen to the podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I've got, I'm at Chief Snah, S-N-A-H, on Instagram. And then my website is down in the show notes, hansstrazina.com. You can find out about my real estate practice, as well as the podcast and some of the other stuff I have going on as well. So without any further ado, let's log it off for today. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last.